You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. Well, we're going to dive right into the message this morning. I mentioned earlier, this is our fifth week of the soft launch, and it's our fifth week in the series we are calling No Perfect People Allowed. Everybody say that with me. No perfect people allowed. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's good news for you. And tell them, for you, for you, for you. Just point at them and say, that's good news for you. <laughs> uh, we started the series asking the question, what would keep someone from coming through the doors of any church, but maybe this church, what would keep someone from wanting to do that? And there's two ideas that emerge. One is there are some folks that just figure they don't need church. They've got it figured out. They're okay on their own. On the flip side, there are those that, uh, that really struggle with their, their own lives. And they're saying, man, I'm too bad. I'm too far gone. I've made too many mistakes. No one would ever welcome me into a place like that. And either way, it keeps people from church. And we've said there's no perfect people allowed. And that's a mantra for us to be championing uh, in this season. We looked at the idea of original sin, Adam and Eve. And then we looked at a few characters so far. We looked at Jacob and uh, his messed up life. And then we looked at Moses, who is really revered and uh, probably 98% of the time in Scripture. But he had some flaws, and they were some big flaws, and it got him into some trouble. And then last week, Rachel, our nurse, or our uh, children's director, uh, talked about Rahab. Rahab the what? The prostitute, right? And we talked about reputation and labels that people put on people and how we get caught up in, in trying to figure out, you know, who we are and how would we be labeled. And the encouragement is that we can be real with who we are. In each of these cases so far, God had a plan for the person's life and the person messed it up and for different reasons. And the cool thing is that God pursued each and every one of them and used them despite their sin and their reputation. So God did a great thing, and he gave them a second chance. There was redemption, so to speak. And I don't know about you, but I have felt this sense of great hope. Like, if that God will do it for Jacob and for Moses and for Rahab and for even Adam and Eve, he can do it for me, Right? How many of you felt that over the last several weeks? Like, there's hope for us, right? Oh, I was hoping more people. <laughs> Come on, let me see your hands. Like, there's hope, right? But the hope is not just for us. The hope really is for those outside of these four walls. There are people that need to know that there's no perfect people allowed in a place like this. There are people that need to hear this message, and that's another reason. As you give out your invitation or invitations, if you dare to grab some more, we want you to say, yeah, hey, come with me. Be my guest. On the backside, it says, be my guest. But come, and if the person's like, well, I'm not sure, you say, look, there's no perfect people allowed. So get, grab your card again, all right? And uh, just pretend in your own mind like you're giving it to your friend and say, hey, come with me to church. Everybody say it. Come with me to church. And then say, hey, and by the way, there's no perfect people allowed. 
Thank you. About half of you were participating. And uh, that's going to be a real blessing. promise you, when you give this away uh, this week, I hope that comes back to you. No perfect people allowed. Now, when we were rolling out this series, really, really in the planning stages, uh, the staff and I, we were sitting together, we were praying together, we were asking the Lord, say, God, you know, help us in this. What Bible characters, we wanted to do all Old Testament characters, uh, what Bible characters do we want to highlight to kind of uh, bring this together? And I said, right from the beginning, I said, I want Samson. Because I was a kid's pastor for eight and a half years before we moved here, and I loved the story of Samson. This guy who had long hair like Fabio, right, and was super strong like Arnold Schwarzenegger, and no, not like Fabio, I don't know. And and this guy was like God used him, and we kind of glorify, we kind of like see Samson, at least from a kid's perspective, in these positive ways. And Samson's cool, and he's fun, but the truth is, when I really started to study over the last couple weeks Samson's life, and I started to study, I got frustrated. I'm thinking that Samson might be the most frustrating Old Testament character there is. And let me tell you why. Because, first of all, Samson was given so much. Not only was he given so much, his calling was crystal clear. He knew right from the get-go what his calling was. But the problem was, is he messed up over and over again. And he messed up in a different way than I think that Jacob did a couple weeks ago when Pastor Bruce was preaching. Pastor Bruce talked about Jacob and his mess-ups and how God pursued him. He wrestled with him. Samson was different. Samson, it was like blatant, in-your-face God mess-ups, like he didn't care. Samson lived his life kind of with this crazy rule that, look, this is my life. I can do what I want when I want, and with whomever I want. Does anyone know anyone that lives that way? Yeah, I know I do. And unfortunately, I know some Christians that live that way as well. And they never say it out loud. They never say, oh, I'm just going to do whatever I want. But their actions speak louder than their words. Am I right? And it's kind of the American way. It's our culture. As long as it's not hurting someone else, right, it's okay. And so this idea, like, I I live my life, I I can do what I want, when I want, with whomever I want. Let me just give you some ideas of where we see that played out. How about in our finances, the way we spend our money? We're like, hey, it's my money, I can do with it whatever I want. Or in school, if you're a student and you're like, well, I can cheat on a test, and as long as I don't get caught or as long as I'm not hurting somebody else, I can do whatever I want. Or if you're here and maybe in a relationship and maybe you've had some promiscuous sexual activity, you're saying, hey, it's my body. I can do with it whatever I desire. You may see it in gambling or in drugs or in partying or too much alcohol. And what this idea, what Samson kind of carried as an aura of himself was ego for sure and pride. This idea, it's my life, I can do what I want, it's really pride. Pride is, was Samson's big downfall. And as we wrestle with Samson in his life today, There's a question related to pride that I want us to get our mind around. The question is this. What do you do when your body wants what your heart 
knows is wrong. Let's put that up on the screen. What do you do when your body, when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong? When we talk about our body, I'm talking about our flesh, what we see with our eyes, and then our heart is what we know what is right, and that can relate to our purchases or our party that went wrong or our relationships or a spring break trip or something you said or you spoke your mind. And the reality is none of us are perfect, and all of us need to wrestle with this question question. Absolutely. And we're going to do that. and We'll come full circle. But let's look at Samson's story. Samson's story is found in the book of Judges, Judges 13 through 16. Before Judges, there was Joshua who led the children of Israel, right? And at the end of Joshua, Joshua dies, and then the, judge, the period of Judges starts. And it goes for 310 years. There were 12 judges in that time. Some of that are notable are Gideon and Samson and Rebekah, and those are the three that are kind of most known, but there were 12 in total. And then after the period of judges, we get our first king, the first king of Israel, who was, Bible scholars, King Saul. Good. You guys got it? First service, they were looking at me like, uh, it's a way to go. King Saul. And so anyway, it, judges are kind of sandwiched between Joshua and King Saul. And there was a pattern in Israel's, in, in the children of Israel that we see over and over throughout this period. It went like this. There was disobedience, and then there was despair, and then there was deliverance. Disobedience, disaster, and then this then uh, deliverance. And what's interesting is that that was not only Israel's story, that was, uh, that was Samson's story as well. Turn with me to Judges chapter 21. 21 verse 25 says this, and it kind of describes the period of the judges. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. And it says, everyone did as they saw fit. I want you to underline that word saw. It's their sight. It's what they saw. They did whatever seemed right to them, their body, their flesh, their eyes. And uh, that was, they would, would describe not only Samson's life, but the children of Israel. Now, Samson's life, it starts with a great story. His parents were experiencing infertility. How many have ever experienced that? I know my wife and I, uh, there's been some seasons of that. And uh, it's interesting how God comes through. And oftentimes after a season of infertility, God will, will bless a family. He did it for us with our son, Logan. He did it for my sister um, and blessed them with triplets. And then they had three other kids of their own. That's like super blessed, I guess. But anyway, in Samson's story, an angel came to visit mom and dad and said, look, God is going to provide and give you a special son. And he says this, the spirit of God will rest on your son. Can you imagine what that would feel like as a parent? The responsibility, the weight of that? I mean, that's incredible. And Samson, he was encouraged that he would live as a Nazarite to take a Nazarite vow or a Nazarite pledge. Now, a Nazarite vow or pledge was usually 30 days or 90 days or maybe a year. But for Samson... It was supposed to be his entire life. 
from the birth to the time you finish. And you say, what's a Nazarite vow? How many have heard of that? Just you heard that? So there's three things that kind of characterize a Nazarite vow. Number one, you were not supposed to eat anything that came from the vine, from grapes. And so it really kind of related to sobriety and keeping your life pure in that way. The second was that you're not supposed to touch anything that was dead. And that really reflected sanctification or a separation, kind of being separated. And then the last thing, if you grew up in church, you probably remember this. And what was it? His, his hair, right? No razor was supposed to touch uh, Samson's head or a Nazarite's hair. And uh, that signified being under submission. And, uh, and so that was important. Now, what's great about Samson and not so great is that Samson really parallels what was happening with the Israelites. He's kind of a microcosm of Israel. He was chosen to be great, just like God chose the Israelites to be his people. They were to be the light of the world, and Samson was supposed to bring redemption and uh, deliverance. He was strong and he was powerful, but Israel took their eyes off God over and over, and so did Samson. And again, it's choosing what his body wanted, what his eyes saw, what his flesh desired over what his heart knew what was right. You tracking with me? So Samson, he grew up as a Nazarite. He became a border guard in his younger age. And uh, that was, they were at war with the Philistines. And so he was guarding the borders. And later he became a judge and served as a judge, the judge of Israel for 20 years. He's a pretty important character. But he had this huge problem. And we said it earlier, it was pride, really. It was, it was ego, right? But there was another problem and that kind of caught, caught up in that. Samson was a womanizer. Just flat out, he liked the ladies. And uh, so turn with me to this juicy story, to Judges chapter 14. This will be fun. <laughs> Judges 14, and we'll start there. Verse 1, here we go. Verse 1 says, Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw there a young Philistine woman. I'm going to pause there. Remember how I, in Judges 21, I had you a circle. They, whatever they did, they saw fit. You did that. I want you to underline the word saw there because there's something here. He crossed the border, and he saw this beautiful woman. Verse 2, when he returned, he said to his father and his mother, he says, I have seen, underline that as well or highlight that, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. He saw her, and he wanted her, and he says, Dad, Mom, she's the one. Go get her for me. Verse 3, his father and his mother replied, like any good Israelite mom or dad would, or any good mom or dad would, said this, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all of our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get you a wife? And they're really describing, saying, look, it's not about interracial marriage. Come on. It's really about this, is, this woman would be serving false gods. It was a, inconsistent with who Samson was to be. And there was a, this, this uncircumcised, ungodly, and they remind Samson. They're saying, look, don't, re, don't you remember your story we've told you since birth? You are to obey, and uh, you're not to 
get messed up with foreign gods. And by the way, we're at war with the Philistines. You know, doesn't that make sense? In verse 3, he continues, Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. Pause. That little phrase in the Hebrew is almost identical to the little phrase that we saw in Judges 21-25. Right for me. The people did what was right in their own eyes. Again, Samson was a microcosm of what was happening. And he said, I want that. Now, you know the story. You could almost guess if you didn't know the story. It doesn't work out for Samson, right? Samson, he kind of blows it up. He embarrasses the Philistines. He kind of gets all this rage, and he kills 30 Philistines, which is crazy, through his supernatural strength. And then the Philistines come after him. They come after his wife. They capture his wife. They burn her alive uh, because uh, Samson had embarrassed them so bad. And so Samson retaliates, burns their fields. He gets revenge with the jawbone of a donkey, which is crazy, and he kills a 1,000 people. A thousand Philistines. And then you see that Samson learned his lesson, right? No. <laughs> 20 years pass. Remember that problem with women? You know, it, he sees it all over again. When we get to chapter 16, turn the page in your Bible, Samson and Delilah. Everyone say, Delilah. Oh, yeah. Samson and Delilah. You love the story uh, if you know it. And you think, if you've read it before, you think to yourself, how could someone be so stupid? Right? 20 years Samson served as judge of Israel. He's admired. He's, he's respected, right? He's ruling over Israel. And all of a sudden, male stupidity gets, gets going again. It's like it's on steroids. And I was thinking about it. Male stupidity. How many men do we have in the house? Let me hear you go. Come on, guys. How many of us are here? Oh, right? Okay. I don't know. Males need three things, a doctor said. This is a doctor that I know. They, they said they need food, they need sex, and they need a pat on the head once in a while. I thought, huh. I mean, guys, is that, that's about right, right? And the doctor goes on to say, if the guy had to choose just one of the three, they might starve to death, most of them. <laughs> and it's just male stupidity. And that's what we see here with Samson and the Delilah. But women, you're not off the hook. The reason we are so stupid is because women, you participate in the madness. Oftentimes, ladies, you believe our stupid lies, and you are so naive, and you have a power over us. And I'm not talking about your words. I'm talking about your... That was for you, Bruce. And my encouragement is don't use that. Your body is a gift from the Lord, so be careful. All right, now to the story. Judges chapter 16, Samson and Delilah. We've got to keep going here. Start in verse 4. It says, Some time later, Samson fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. 
So he's going again where he shouldn't go. He's crossed the borders. He's crossed the line again. He's going into ungodly territory. Verse 5, it says, So the rulers of the Philistines went to Delilah and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how, he can, how we can overpower him so we can tie him up and subdue him. They said, let's lure him. It's kind of like putting a hook in him, creating a trap. They said, each of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. In today's uh, uh, money, that would be about $90,000. So, I mean, this is enticing for Delilah. And Delilah, verse 6, what does she do? She goes straight to Samson, and she uses all her powers of persuasion, all of them, and she says to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. She comes right out. She's, she's blunt. She's, I'm like, that obvious, really? And again, she's using all of her persuasive skills. Verse 7, Samson answered, if anyone ties me up with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I will become as weak as any other man. And so we see that Samson I'm thinking, why would he even mess with this? But he does. He plays the game. He gets drunk. He passes out. And in verse 8 and 9, we see that the rulers of the Philistines are brought. They tie him up with seven fresh bowstrings. But Samson, he wakes up out of his drunken stupor, and he breaks the bowstrings. And again, you think, Samson, you've learned your lesson, Right? You almost died. You could have died in that circumstance. They wanted to take your life. They wanted to subdue you, but it doesn't. And we see round two, verse 10. Verse 10, then Delilah said to Samson, you made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied up. And he says, well, it's not the bowstrings. It's really new rope. If you take new rope and you tie me up, I will be weaker as weak as any other natural man. He gets drunk. He passes out. They come in. They tie him. He, she wakes him up. Boom, he breaks the new rope. Round three, verse 13. Then Delilah comes to him again. This time you have been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how can you be tied? third time. He says, well, it's my hair. It's the, if you braid my hair in seven braids, I will become as weak as any other man. And you pause here. Come on. And I'm just, am I the only one that you're saying, is anyone that stupid? Like he's getting closer and closer. You know the story. His hair is about to leave, but he's, you know, so now he's, you know, coming, he's, he's mentioning his hair. And the truth is, when I read this, you might think, man, Samson's a real, real um, idiot, right? Uh, but how many of us have messed around with sin in a similar way? How many of us can relate? And it may or may not be sex. It could be the way we spend our money or an anger problem or a gambling or drugs or alcohol or partying or, or whatever the case might be. It's taking your flesh, your, what your body wants, over what your heart knows is correct. Are you tracking with me? You see what happened here over and over? The truth is, is that there's a little bit of Samson in each and every one of us. That's the truth. Um, of course, uh, they come in, they 
braid his hair. He wakes up. He's strong. He takes care of the Philistines. Round 4, verse 15. She says to him, Delilah comes, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your strength. And then you get the full gist of this in verse 16. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. Verse 17, no razor has ever been on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. There he did it. He put it right out there in front of God, blatant sin, blatant disobedience, right in God's face. We know Samson wakes up, and a really sad verse in verse 20, it says that the Lord had left Samson in that moment. He didn't have his strength, and what's crazy, it wasn't just a victory over just a single man. It was victory over Israel's God from the Philistines. In verse 21, they seize him. They gouge out his eyes. Some commentators think that they would have burned his eyes first and then gouged them out. Either way, I'm thinking the irony is here. Samson's thinking, how did I not see this coming? You tracking with me? And he dies in shackles. Just pause here for a second. Uh, a lot of people will think, oh, well, the power, his power was in his hair. And I remember teaching that in kids' church. I'm not so convinced of that. To me, it was three strikes and you're out, Samson. He was not to have any wine as a Nazarite. And over and over, he got caught up in wine and parties and repeatedly was disobeying God in that way. The second thing, he wasn't supposed to touch any dead thing. And he killed lots and lots of people. He killed a lion. And then he even went back to that lion and scooped out of that lion honey. Kind of, again, just blatant in your face. I know I'm a Nazarite, but... I'm going to do what I want, when I want, with whomever I want. It was the third thing, no razor. It was the last thing that Samson blew it, and God said, okay, that's enough. I think Samson would have benefited from Paul's encouragement 1,300 years later in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's interesting, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, which was a highly uh, sexualized uh, culture, and he told them, he said, look, flee from sexual immorality. He says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And then he asks a question in verse 19. He says, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And I don't think they knew that. And so he's telling him, he said, look, and I'm not sure Samson understood that his body was the Lord's who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. In other words, give God your body. Honor God with your body. Now, Samson, he definitely messed up. He didn't do that. Samson messed up. So, Let's bring this more personal. What happens when you mess up or when I mess up? When you've blown it, right? When you've embarrassed yourself or you've embarrassed your family, 
when you've hurt somebody by your actions, you've failed, what, what do you do? Do you just give up? Do you just throw in the towel? You say, ah, it's not, I can't do it. Or do you say, hey, I made a promise. I will never do that again, whatever that is. And it's a week later or a month later or maybe 20 years later like Samson. All of a sudden you're doing the thing that you said you would never do. Come on, who can relate? I know I can. And that's why it's so frustrating. What do you do when you think, oh, could God still use me? I've messed up. And it's frustrating because Samson was given so much and his calling was so clear and he messed up again and again and again. You say, well, why does that frustrate you? Well, can I just be honest? I see myself in Samson's story too often. And we've got to come to grips with that. What do we do? Well, what happened to Samson in verse 23? The Philistines, they come out. They're celebrating his, uh, his victory. He said, now the rulers of the Philistines assembled uh, to offer a great sacrifice to the, uh, to the god Dagon. And they're, they're celebrating. Hey, we, we captured Samson. In verse 25, they totally humiliate him. It says, while they were in the high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson, right, to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and they said, he will perform. I was thinking, you know what? Samson was not created to entertain the enemy. He was created to be a deliverer. But he's in that moment. He's entertaining, and certainly he felt remorse. That's the first natural response. But he also went a little beyond that to a place of repentance, I believe, where he owned it. He said, it's my fault, but God, would you help me again? And I just want to speak this, this idea that you cannot uh, undo the bad deal that you might have made or the thing that you've done, but you can repent. And in verse 28, Samson calls out to God once more. It says, Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me, right? Strengthen me just once more. Just once more. He's broken now. It's not about him anymore. His ego is gone, or at least mostly gone. And you sit there and you read that and you look, God did it. And how do you make that personal? I want you to know, and I wrote some things down here that I believe are a word for the Lord from, for some that are here. You, you are not done because of your mess-ups. But I wrote here, stop living in remorse. Stop whining. You have the spirit of the living God living inside of you, just like Samson did. And all you need to do is repent. Turn from your wicked way. And Samson, he cried out just once more, one more time. And it's interesting, one, one pastor I was listening to this week, he said it was easy for Samson to push those pillars out of the way. Uh, and he, it was only, he only had to do it one time at that point. But he said for real men and women of God, you have to choose daily to address the barriers, the sin, the pillars in your life. And you've got to push those away. And we got to remember that there's no perfect people allowed. And what happens to a righteous person? Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16 says this, For though the righteous fall seven times, 
Look what it says. It says, they rise again, but the wicked stumble and when calamity strikes. What happens when a righteous person falls? They get back up. You fall, you get back up. You do it over and over again. And I believe that God is doing a new thing, and he's giving us strength to push through some of those sin nature things. So we come full circle. This question I asked at the beginning of the message was this. What do you do when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong? This is an interesting question. Again, you owe it to yourself to answer this question. Even if you're here just for the first time and you're not even a believer, uh, look, what do you do when your body wants something, your eyes, your flesh, that your heart knows is wrong? Your body. Your, what, and here's the answer, and we'll put it up on the screen. It says, instead of doing right in your own eyes, do what you suspect is right in your own heart. The idea is that you need to surrender. You need to yield. And you say, man, that's hard. And I get it. Yes, it's hard. Instead of doing right in your own eyes, do what you suspect is right in your own heart. See, I'm convinced that you and I have no idea what God wants to do in and through your life. You just don't. You don't we don't see the full picture. In fact, if you said, God, show me my life in its entirety, it would probably scare the living daylights out of all of us. That's the truth. But if you said, God, you are in control. God, I'm giving you my heart. Everything with inside of me, I'm giving it to you. I believe your God-designed destiny would be revealed one step at a time. I believe God would do that. He'd be faithful to do that. And know this, that your destiny is not controlled by your background, your social, your economic status. Your destiny is unlocked by your intimacy with the Lord. That's the truth. And this morning, we want to provide an opportunity for you, like Samson, to not only be remorseful, saying, oh, man, the things I've done or the things I've, where I've been or the things I've said, but to move to a place of repentance. And with that comes a heart saying, you know what? I'm not going to do just what my eyes see or what I, uh, what I see is right in my own eyes. But I'm going to do what I suspect is right in my heart. What lines up with Scripture, with God's Word. In the song we sang earlier, there was the phrase that said, Make me your vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. And I think it's that kind of attitude, that kind of mantra that changes things in our lives. And this morning, God, He's wanting to capture your heart and I want to lead you in just a little moment here before we sing the song I want you to lead you in just breathing these simple words I'm going to ask that you stand right where you are and I want you just to breathe this with me say make me your vessel come on just say that in your own way make me an offering make me whatever 
Let's say it together. Make me your vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. Lord, I pray that this would be our anthem. We know that we're not perfect, but Lord, we need you to make us into who you want us to be. What I'm going to ask that you do in this attitude of worship is I'm going to ask that you would change your position. And that means maybe to step out and come forward to the altar. That could mean turn around and kneel at your seat. Maybe to lift your hands. Do something different. Maybe even something uncomfortable as we sing this song and set our hearts before the Lord as we wrestle with this idea of if we all have a little Samson inside of us, what do we do? We should be singing something like this. Make me your vessel. Make me an offering. Lord, make me whatever you want me to be. Let's sing it together. Thanks, Lord. I believe that God is doing a new work in our hearts and our lives. And there may be some that are here that don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never surrendered your heart. You've never said, Lord, I'm not my own. Uh, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. And we want to offer you that free gift of salvation. If you're here and you don't know the Lord as your personal Savior, and you realize that you're a sinner, we all are, and we all need a Savior. If you are realizing, man, I need Jesus. I need to get my life right with God. I want you just to slip up your hand right where you are in second service here saying, yes, that's me. Yep. Who else this morning saying, yes, Lord, save me. Anybody else saying, yes, that's me. Lord, save me. All right, for the sake of the one, could we just pray this simple prayer and say it after me? Say, dear Lord, dear Lord I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. Samson is our story, isn't it? I mean, you hate to say it, but it, it's just the truth. And there's some that are here that need to wrestle a little more aggressive, go beyond remorse, and move to repentance. Saying, God, I'm sorry for the way I've acted, for the things I've done, for the things I've said. Have you lost your salvation? I don't think so. That's a whole nother conversation. But but this morning, you're here and you're saying, you know what? I want, like Samson, say just once more, just today, Lord, would you give me the strength and the power to overcome whatever I'm facing? For Samson, it was the Philistines in that moment. And he crushed them and God provided. For you, it could be an issue with drinking, or it could be an issue with uh, with pornography, or it could be an issue with, uh, you know, 
of spending or it could be a relationship issue or maybe it's pride or maybe it's, I mean, it could be a myriad of things. And just with your head bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, this is just between you and the Lord. If you're saying, man, that's me, I, I need the Lord's special touch to help me with what I'm facing today. Just slip your hand up real quick and then we're going to pray. Yeah. Wow. Truth is, hands all over. So true. Hallelujah. Father, we give you our lives just like Samson did. The same spirit that lived inside of Samson lives inside of each of us. And Lord, we're asking for that strength and that power to face what we're facing today. God, that you would do your Lord, with humility, we ask that you would forgive us of our sin. And Lord, that you would use us despite what we've done. No perfect people allowed. Lord, do what only you can do. And God will give you the praise and all the glory. God, surround us in this place. God, put your hand upon our lives for your glory, for your honor. Lord, we pray this. And Lord, as we leave here, I pray that you'd go before us, behind us, and all around us. We thank you for your amazing touch. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you turn and greet someone as you leave this morning. And we want to also remind you, if you are new here today, please make yourself known at the Connection Center. In just a moment, we'll meet you out there. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.